Hello and welcome to the Spaceport America podcast with me, Alice Carruth, the Public Relations Coordinator for the New Mexico Spaceport Authority, the state agency that manages Spaceport America. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Kathy Harper. She's the Public Relations and Marketing Manager for the New Mexico Space History Museum. So Kathy, tell us about the New Mexico Museum of Space History. What do people see when they come to your museum? Well, Alice, I'm so glad you asked that question because I just happen to know what people will get to see when they come up to the Museum of Space History. Um, and, and it's a lot. It really is a lot. You know, the museum was founded in 1976 as the International Space Hall of Fame. And we can talk about why that happened in a little bit. But uh, so that you get an idea about the museum itself, uh, at when it was founded, it was and remains today being the only International Space Hall of Fame in existence. But over the years, we realized that um, people were also coming not to just see the inductees into the Hall of Fame, but they wanted to see the artifacts related to those inductees, artifacts that were related to other space uh, faring concepts. And so we sort of I, I kind of say we morphed into a museum over the years, and I suppose evolved might be a better word, but hey, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and so right now we have an eight-story building uh, that was that was the original building, and uh, it's it's a totally stunning building itself. It's it's very modern looking, even though it is uh, what about forty five years old or so right now. It's it's still an iconic building that sits on the just on the very slope of the Sacramento Mountains here uh, behind Alamogordo, so you can see it from everywhere. And and then once you drive up here, one of the the first things that you're going to notice is the Air and Space Park that we have named after Dr. John Paul Stapp, who, uh, who's also the fastest man alive. And um, a newly created uh, Rocketeer playground area for the kids that we managed to put in a couple of years ago. Also on our campus, we have the Clyde W. Tombaugh uh, Science Center. And inside that building is our dome theater that does planetarium shows and uh, full length, um, a large format films, uh, documentaries and such, and also planetarium shows. So there's a lot on the campus. Once you get inside the museum, then you get to walk. Well, you take the first, you take the elevator all the way up to the fifth floor. Now, I know I said there's eight floors, but the elevator goes to five. And the reason is because each one of the main floors has a subfloor. So when you get to the fifth floor, you walk in and you see the history of the telescope beautifully laid out on the side. And then you step out into an overlook. And that overlook gives you a view of the entire Tularosa Basin. And if you've never seen anything like that before, the Tularosa Basin is roughly 50, 60 miles across from east to west. You can see all the way across there, you can see Holloman Air Force Base, White Sands Missile Range. Um, I point out to people where the high-speed test track is, uh, where Dr. Stapp became the fastest man alive. 
and you can also see to the south and the north. So it's a beautiful vista. And that's where I talk to people about why New Mexico? Why did this happen here in New Mexico? So in about 1972, the mayor of Alamogordo, and, and I'll keep this uh, as as uncreative as possible. Sometimes I embellish a little bit, but I'm going to try to tell you the real history now, Alice, the truth of what really happened. So, <laughs> so he's sitting at home, the mayor of Alamogordo, his name was Dwight o Olinger. So Dwight Olinger was sitting at home in his recliner, possibly watching a TV show about the baseball hall of fame. And as he was watching it, he was thinking about the Tularosa Basin and the things that were going on and had been going on for a couple of decades before that. And that included things like the V2 testing at White Sands Missile Range and, and the continued testing that they were doing at that time, the involvement of Holloman Air Force Base and, and a variety of other things that were happening. And, and then he, he gave it a wider image in his mind and he thought about the people from all over the world who had participated in space research exploration and development and he thought why isn't there something like this here this is the cradle of america's uh, u.s space and rocketry program here in the tularosa basin it's a fitting place for us to have an international space hall of fame and so he agreed with himself that evening. And, and the next day, he got up and he started making phone calls. And he called friends of his at the Chamber of Commerce. He called uh, legislators in Santa Fe. He called people at Holloman Air Force Base. And they all agreed with him that this would be a perfect place. And so all of those people came together and they began the process of putting the plan together what it was going to be like, what it was going to look like, how much money it was going to take. They presented it um, to the legislature in Santa Fe where they got immediate support. They got support from the Smithsonian, from NASA, from all over the country, and in certain instances, all over the world. And so their dream became creating the museum, which they accomplished and opened in the fall of 1976. And since then, we've been trying to honor that legacy, honor their dream of, of, of having a place to showcase what the people from around the world have done to basically get us off the rock, as some would say. And, and we, it inspires, I think, mankind, humankind, um, when they see people uh, wanting to do things bigger and better and greater. And that's why, that's how we got started to honor those people. And that's why we're here today. Now, our collection today is significantly larger than it was in 1976 when we opened with, with we had numerous artifacts that were given to us or donated to us. Uh, but today we have not only what you'll see inside the museum, including our beautiful new uh, human spaceflight floor that features several uh, different types of astronaut suits from ones that would actually take you into space 
to some that were worn in science fiction shows. As you, as I'm sure you know, Alice, a lot of times science fiction mirrors science fact and vice versa. Uh, and I'll tease you a little bit about that here in a little bit. But that floor showcases uh, human spaceflight from, from the Soviets and Yuri Gagarin all the way to where you're sitting at today at Spaceport America. So we're very excited about that. We have a lot of new interactives for kids to come and try their hand at, at flying on Mars or landing on moon or even landing the shuttle back here at Earth. And I'm going to confess this to you and please don't tell anyone, but I can't land the shuttle. It's every time I hear the hubcaps come off and roll across the tarmac and it's slightly embarrassing considering I've worked here for 16 years and I've still not been able to master it. So that's just one more reason for me to stay grounded, Alice. <laughs> I hear you, Kathy. So you kind of talked a little bit about the International Hall of Fame. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that looks like and how you guys celebrate that every year here in New Mexico? Well, um, the International Space Hall of Fame honors, I believe it is 173 individuals and one team of individuals, uh, the Delta Clipper Experimental Team. And we induct on a fairly regular basis. Actually, it's usually every two to three years now that we do an induction. And part of the reason for that is when, when we first started, uh, we could induct 15 or 20 people at a time and still have a whole bunch to choose from for the next induction. But we, we inducted, of course, all of the Apollo astronauts, we inducted numerous engineers and flight controllers and that type of person, astronomers. Um, even Walter Cronkite is inducted for his coverage of the Apollo 11 moon landing. So as, as the years went on and as the space industry kind of fell into a little bit of a slump, um, in the in the 90s and early 2000s, to be perfectly honest, for a while, we, we didn't have as many people, as many opportunities to induct people into the Hall of Fame and have them fall under the criteria that they need to fall under to, to be considered for the honor. And so we decided that what we would do is every two or three years, we would induct um, four or five people into the Hall of Fame so that it could be more special for all of them. And so that's kind of what that looks like. And we're talking about an induction now, uh, possibly in the fall, possibly next spring, but we are looking at an induction. And I don't want to let that cat out of the bag until we actually get ready to do it, because I think it'll be very exciting and a lot of fun. Watch this space, I'm sure. So, Kathy, you're obviously very passionate about space. How did you end up working as a public relations coordinator and marketer for the Space Museum? Well, um, it's a it's a long and scary story. So I'm going to leave the scary part out. <laughs> well, most of it. Um, when I was young, I grew up in the Apollo era. I grew up when we were landing men on the moon. And it was so exciting 
for everybody in the country. And and at the risk of dating myself, I was in school then and I wasn't the teacher, just so you know. <laughs> I was actually the student. Um, but in school, the teachers would show us the launches and the landings and we would all talk about it. We talked about it at home. That was back in the day when you only had like three TV channels that you could choose from. And so basically we're inundated with space all the time. And, and I grew to be fascinated by the Apollo program. And then later as, as TV expanded a little bit, uh, I also became a, a kind of a Star Trek fan because I always loved science fiction. So you take that science fact and science fiction again, and you put them together. And then here I am today. I had spent um, quite a bit of my career in Alamogordo working in uh, the media, in radio and in newspaper. And so I had also spent quite a bit of time uh, working with the marketing director at the time here at the museum. And, and when the position came up, I thought to myself, you know, that's my dream job. That's really what I want to do. I want to be involved in this. And I came up, I applied for the job, and I, I got it. And I have been here now for 16 years, and I have loved every minute of it. Well, almost every minute of it. There's been times, honestly. <laughs> Isn't that with every job? Well, it you is. Know, we're talking, it's true. <laughs> we were talking beforehand about how both of us are very passionate working in space and, and explaining to people, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or an engineer to work in aerospace. How have you found that conversation to go over the years with your public outreach that you do at the museum? Well, um, I, I actually do some public outreach and, and quite a bit of it. I go on the road sometimes with the museum education department to schools and events. I do an occasional tour up here at the museum myself. And I think the most fun is to, is, is talking to the children because kids are so excited. They're, they're just excited about life. And then when you talk to them about um, things like, like rockets I, every kid wants to build their own model rocket. Now, I will tell you, not every kid wants to be an astronaut. And I, and I know that because of something I, I mentioned to you earlier, when I give a tour to children and um, one of the things I do is I say, okay, now everybody, who wants to be an astronaut? And I'll get one or two hands. And then I'll get a lot of rolling eyes and a lot of, you know, like, oh no, that's kind of scary. And that's when I start talking to them about the fact that there is so much more opportunity for them besides being an astronaut. The astronauts are actually a very small member of the group. You know, it took, I want to say it was in the neighborhood of, 100,000 people to put the Apollo team on the moon. And there were only 12 people that actually walked on the moon. So that kind of gives you an idea of how big the opportunity is in the rest of the sector. Uh, there is everything from, from being a rocket scientist to being a chef, to being a doctor, uh, uh, physical therapists, and, and even... Even people who just work there, who are, who are the janitors and the security guards, and all of those things played an important role in getting that astronaut into space. Without each one of those, 
it, the rest of them are, are not efficient and the project would have never been completed. So it's important that we have a huge number of people on the ground working at everything from computers to, to kitchens to get those astronauts up in, in the air. And, and that's why I, that's what I try to explain to the kids when I talk to them. What I think kind of experience I, did they get, sorry, from the museum? What gives them that kind of hands-on overview effect? Do you give them anything like that when they come to, to you? Well, we do have a lot of interactive things. If, if we're doing a school group, um, we always encourage them to take advantage of the interactives. But as far as school groups go, we offer education classes in-house. So, for instance, a teacher in, in Las Cruces or Hatch decides that they would like to bring their fifth grade class and they want to do a museum tour, well, they can also do some really cool science education programs here with our education staff. They can dissect an alien. I bet you didn't. Yeah, right. We call it alien autopsy. Go figure. <laughs> it's very popular. It's a lot of fun. They get a tortilla. So we build these bodies with tortillas and pickles and spaghetti and different things. And then the kids come and we have glove boxes and we put the little alien body in there and we give them plastic knives and forks and, and they just cut it apart. And they try to figure out the different um, uh, organs and whatever's going on in the body that has adapted it to the exotic planet that it came from. So that's just one of the cool things. They can also... Uh, build and launch their own rocket. But our, our goal with the education program is to ignite that spark, that spark of interest that will, will take the kids from just looking at, a, at, I don't know, a rocket launch on TV and going, oh, that's cool, and then going to do something else, to the child that looks at that rocket launch and says, I want to do that. I want to be there. I want to help. I think one of the most rewarding comments that I ever had from a child was when I was doing a career fair in the Hatch school systems. Um, and it was an all day event and there were several of us there giving presentations and it was, they were targeted, I think at fifth through eighth grade kids. And one little girl was there and I said, so what do you want to do when you grow up? She said, I want to be the first person on Mars. And that's what it's all about right there, that inspiration with that little girl. And you may only inspire a handful, but that makes it worth it. We talk about how we can inspire the public, not just students, but or people of all ages. And there is so much space history here in New Mexico. And I know you're taking the lead on trying to push for the space trails to be updated and have more information with them. What can people see when they come to New Mexico? when it comes to space history? You kind of touched a little bit on, on what's at the museum, but what else is out there? In about the year 2000, the curator of the museum at the time, George House, um, and was driving between Alamogordo and Las Cruces, and he saw a historical marker out there on Highway 70 in the middle of nothing. He stopped and he read it. And much like Dwight Olinger, who found it, helped found the museum, um, our curator thought there really should be something across the state to identify the locations 
where things have been going on related to space history and research and all of that. So he began working on the New Mexico Space Trail. Today, it has 52 sites that stretch all the way back to the Native Americans and uh, Chaco Canyon, places like that, where, where the Native Americans used uh, what they learned about the sky to tell them when to plant crops, when to harvest crops, and all of those things, all the way forward to, uh, again, you at Spaceport America, the Magdalena Ridge Observatory, the Very Large Array. Those are just a few things that people can see when they come to New Mexico. And the the Space Trail map, by the way, is on our website. And we couldn't leave out one inspiring place in New Mexico for two reasons. And I'll tell you the name of it. It's Roswell. Of course, I know what comes to everybody's mind at the very top of their mind is, oh, my gosh, UFOs. Woohoo. And I will say that Roswell has made a lot of hay out of that whole thing. Uh, but there was somebody else there. And that was Robert Goddard. And that's where Robert Goddard uh, actually did the testing for his uh, uh, solid fuel uh, rocket that he was working on. And he did that in the early 1930s. So it was even that was before the Roswell incident, by the way. <laughs> uh, he had been doing work in uh, in Massachusetts and he set his neighbor's barn on fire. And uh, that didn't impress the neighbors at all. And some of his friends say, said, hey, I know where you can go where you're not going to set much, if anything, on fire. And they encouraged him to come to Roswell. And at the Roswell Art Museum, his original laboratory is completely inside there. So it's, it's an absolutely fascinating look into uh, Robert Goddard and what he did um, when he was working in New Mexico. Some other things that people may not be aware of that are on the New Mexico Space Trail is the uh, Loveless Medical Clinic in Albuquerque. And that is where the Apollo astronauts, including the Mercury 13 astronauts, who unfortunately never did fly, but they all did their physicals at the Loveless uh, Clinic in Albuquerque. Philmont Ranch, Philmont Boy Scout Ranch is on the map. And the reason it's on the map is not because Neil Armstrong went there as an Eagle Scout, which he did, um, but it is because the Apollo era astronauts trained at uh, on the grounds there at Philmont, because it's a huge place. Um, they trained there, they trained at the Rio Grande Gorge, which is stunning all in itself. But if you can stand there and look down into the gorge and imagine an Apollo astronaut driving a moon rover across that, then you might really get an idea of why it's on the New Mexico space trail. Uh, Zuni Pueblo is on there for the same reason, because there was a lot of astronaut training in that area. So there are many, many things that you can see in New Mexico when it comes to space history. And there are things that are on the map that you can't see. I will tell you that right up front. Uh, they don't let you just walk into Sandia Labs, but Sandia Labs, Los Alamos Labs, um, they all had a lot to do with space research and development. Uh, Trinity site is on there. 
And you, you can only go see that twice a year uh, in April and October, but you can adjust your trip around that Trinity site and see all the other space-related sites at the same time. Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about we are the, the birthplace of the U.S. space and missile program. I don't think people outside of New Mexico or even in New Mexico are very aware of it. What more could we be doing as a state to really push for people to understand our space history and what we're going to be doing in the future? Well, I think one of the things that we could do is to is to begin the process of promoting the New Mexico Space Trail more, because that really does tell the story. And the beautiful part of the Space Trail is that it ties the cultural heritage of New Mexico to what we're doing and what we have done, what we are doing and what we will do when it comes to space research. I think that we can use imagery to help reinforce that. Just recently, um, I went to White Sands National Monument uh, Park, White Sands National Park, which is also on the space trail, by the way, uh, because NASA did use some of, uh, of the facility uh, for Mars rover testing. Uh, but we took our astronaut out there to the park and when I say our astronaut, what it is, it, it's a suit that someone wears. It's a very high fidelity Apollo suit. And um, we did a photo shoot. and We've done several out there. The city of Alamogordo did the same thing. And we'll be using uh, those images to help promote this area and uh, create that enthusiasm and excitement. So if you would tell people from outside of New Mexico where to go, what are your top points of what you can see in New Mexico when it comes to space? What would you tell them? Well, of course I have to start with the museum because you know, I get paid <laughs> by the museum. So I would definitely say that. I would say that if there is an opportunity to visit Spaceport America, a public event of some sort, that this is, they definitely do not want to miss that. It is such a futuristic facility. It, it, it is just stunning to see it out there. And, and I have a soft spot for it. I would encourage a trip to White Sands Missile Range Museum, because I think that is really, really um, a top-notch rocket park, and they've got a great little museum there. There's a lot of other facilities. Naturally, the Rio Grande Gorge is beautiful, and now you know the reason why it's related to space research, so that is on my list. The Carl Jansky Very Large Array that so many people are familiar with uh, because of that movie, um, uh, Contact, uh, you can actually go up and see that yourself. And it's amazing to stand there and see how gigantic uh, that those dishes are. They are incredibly impressive. So those are just a few of the highlights that are on my list. I would encourage in New Mexico, of course, to stop at the Roswell Art Gallery. And, and you can even stop at the McDonald's there. And there's a UFO on the building. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I'd say all of that and more. I feel like we, we skim over so much of it because there is so much to see here in this region. And, and 
where we are in southern New Mexico, it's all within a couple of hours drive from each other. So Alamogordo, Las Cruces has got some great history with Clyde Tombaugh. Uh, and then Spaceport America is just an hour up the road from there. You could literally do a weekend here and, and be crammed with space history. Oh, easily. You could take a nice drive in the mountains and see Sunspot and Apache Point. So there's just there there's a myriad of things that you could do and enjoy here in southern New Mexico and get your space fix all at the same time. I don't know how much better it gets, Alice. <laughs> I'm completely with you, Kathy. Is there any events coming up at the museum that we should be looking out for? And where can we find out more information about where we can follow those things? Well, I certainly encourage you to uh, visit our website uh, or follow us on space, uh, on space. Always follow us on space. Follow us on Facebook. Um, we do a monthly uh, lecture that's free to the public, our Launchpad Lectures. Uh, next month, uh, March 4th, I believe it is, on the first Friday, our education director will be talking about the Artemis missions that are coming up. So that should be very interesting. Uh, we also have our Rocketeer Academy summer camp that will be starting the first weekend in June. We host the City of Alamogordo's 4th of July event up here. That's always very exciting. And here's a little bit of a teaser for you. On in December, in early December, we will be celebrating the 50th anniversary of Apollo 17, and we will have a very special guest, and I can't tell you who it is. It's a secret, so I'm just going to have to let you guess and think about it. Is he from New Mexico, Kathy? Well, golly, he could be. So any space nuts will probably know that there were two moonwalkers that came from New Mexico. The last one was born in New Mexico and is very well known here. So I'm hoping it might be a certain Mr. Schmidt that's coming to New Mexico again to do that. Well, it, you never know. It certainly could be uh, because I think he is uh, the only one that, that is still here with us. And... Uh, there will be more information coming out in the next few weeks about exactly what's going to happen. So I look forward to uh, being able to share that with you. Do follow the New Mexico Space History Museum on social media and go and check out their website so you can find out more about that. Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Alice, for having me. And I hope someday to have my own podcast and I'll invite you to join me. How's that work? That sounds fabulous. I look forward to it. All right. Perfect. You have a great day. Thank you. Proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo Mike Communications.